I'm Jeff Rake, and we are exploring the drama and mystery of Manifest, episode 116, the season one finale. Sanbi suggests going down a dark path in this episode. Could she be right? Or has her PTSD caused her to act out of fear? That's a tough one. What is right or wrong here, I would say, is relative. Bring it up is because we thought it was important for the characters to talk about extreme measures. This season has seen a lot of extremities, right? And we've seen life or death consequences in multiple episodes. And now our heroes have learned their lesson, right? And they've discovered that bad things can happen when certain things go unchecked, when the callings are, you know, used in ways that our heroes believe was not intended. So that idea of fire with fire seems completely viable. Is her PTSD at the same time causing her to act out of fear? Sure. Probably that makes sense as well, right? She is in a bad place and not only is she in a bad place, but she's specifically in a bad place because someone who learned about the callings indirectly almost killed her, almost killed her. And so she is absolutely acting out of fear, but it's not necessarily a bad thing, or I should say it's not necessarily an unjustified thing for her to be acting out of fear. And uh, had the calling not stepped in and taken Griffin down as it does in this episode, who knows what Griffin would have done next and who knows what Sambi and Ben and Michaela would have concluded if Griffin had taken a life or more lives. So it's, it's a very gray question. Zeke and Michaela have a strong bond, but so do Zeke and Cal. Elaborate on that. Sure. Zeke and Michaela have had an important bond that we've seen ever since the end of 112. But let's remember that the only reason Zeke and Michaela came together was because of Cal. Cal led Michaela. Cal led the family to Zeke. And Cal has since told us that there are things that he could only discuss with Zeke. There is a special bond there. We see it as an audience. Cal obviously feels it. Ben and Grace, Michaela all see it, and Zeke sees it, right? So all around, everybody's realizing that there's something special going on between these two. The way I intended this bond to grow was through the prism of the callings that Cal and Zeke received together, right? So back in episode 14, we see that Zeke and Cal each experience the calling of the wolf. Slightly different ways, but it's kind of that same concept of the wolf coming at them through the threshold. Uh, Cal had that extra layer with Michaela, but still it was a parallel experience between these two guys. Zeke is unique is what we're supposed to take away from this. He's different from all the other passengers. He shares a bond with Cal that no one else has. We never saw Cal in any other episode uh, feel the need to speak to any other passenger from the flight. This is the first time that something like this came up. There's something unique that exists between Cal and Zeke. Both of them have powers that are arguably stronger than the others do. And we're going to see Zeke's abilities continue to grow as we get into season two. Will there be a handoff of Cal's special abilities to Zeke? But whether it's that specific or not, 
we're going to continue to see that their journey is somehow apart from the journey of everyone else. Griffin was gone 82 hours and eight minutes. This also happens to be the angel number. Talk about the significance of that. Griffin was no angel, but, you know, as previously discussed, Griffin has led us to huge revelations that by the end of this episode speak to every single person who is experiencing the calling. For us in the writer's room, 828, while it is perhaps the angel number, is also representative of Romans 828 and that idea that all things happen for a reason. There is a logic, there is an organic order to why things are happening the way they are happening, right? And so for us, the significance of Griffin being gone 82 hours and eight minutes and then being back for 82 hours and eight minutes is a symmetry that speaks to the order of the callings in general. And that symmetry is what leads Ben and Olive by the end of the episode to realize that just like Griffin was back for only the exact amount of time that he'd been gone, so too may be the case with the passengers. And so it was really about that idea of all things happening for a specific reason. In this case, the reason was for Ben, Michaela, and the others to understand that they may now only have a limited amount of time on Earth. Will all of the passengers die on June 2nd, 2024? So the question of whether or not Ben, Michaela, Cal, all the passengers of the flight, whether they're going to die on June 2nd, 2024, is, you know, the fundamental question of series now. So I can't answer that. Uh, but what I can tell you is that the callings don't lie. And so the fact that Griffin died exactly after the same amount of time that he had been back is an important data point for the passengers to take forward with them as they go forward. The wrinkle here is that Griffin also abused the callings. The question that Ben and Michaela and Sanvi and others would be wise to ask themselves in season two, and I expect that they will because I have a little insight into that, is whether or not Griffin's agency over the callings, that is, whether or not Griffin's decision to use the callings to get away with murder had any impact on the fact that he died when he died, or was his bad action coincidental with the fact that he died exactly the same amount of time that he had been gone, right? So the question is, are these two disparate, unrelated phenomena, or is there a cause and effect? That question of cause and effect is something that we're going to explore in season two and beyond. Uh, we will ultimately answer the question of whether or not the two are interconnected or not, but that's not something that I can speak to right now. What I can say is that idea of there being an expiration date, as Grace refers to it in episode 16, will prove to be a legitimate ticking clock. Is it a clock that can be stopped? We'll see. The Major is starting to get close to Sanvi. Talk about what this will mean for Sanvi and elaborate on the Major's long-term plan. So as the Major has alluded to, she is collecting information. She's been at this for a long time, she told us. She's been in this job for many, many years. And therefore, we gather that she is on a long, 
arduous search for answers in regard to the phenomenon of flight A28 and in regard to other mysterious phenomena that she has experienced in her tenure on the job. So as she explains to us, I think back in episode 14, first they're trying to understand the phenomenon. And then once they feel like they can understand it, that they may perhaps weaponize it. Well, what does she mean by that? We can infer from that that the goal of the major and her department is to figure out how to use the callings in ways that perhaps can help national security to be manipulated, harnessed in some way that they can be, as she says, a weapon. So if that's the case and if that's her goal, does that mean that Ben and Michaela and Cal and others are her ammunition in that weapon? We can logically deduce that it probably does mean that. And the strongest piece of ammunition that she sees in front of her at the moment is Cal, who she believes to be her holy grail. So she is still collecting information about Cal and others for reasons that she didn't explain uh, clearly to us, but uh, she has decided not to go directly to Cal right now. She alluded to the fact that that's premature. And so instead, she has come to realize that she can gain all sorts of information about Cal and others from Sanvi. That Sanvi had this traumatic incident that, that made her in need of therapy was a happy accident for the major that she eagerly pounced on. We now know that uh, her pal, Dr. Matthews, was somehow instrumental in sending Sanvi into the major's clutches. What does that mean for Sanvi? That means that she better be careful because she is now the unwitting pawn in the manger's long game. How will Grace's pregnancy affect the Stone family going forward? One of my greatest goals for season one was to bring Grace and Ben back together. I always knew that the Ben-Grace relationship was going to be a complicated one, one with ups and downs and that it would be an incredibly challenging feat for the two of them to get their house back in order. But I wanted their house back in order. I needed their house back in order because, as I've discussed with uh, anybody who asks me about the show, that idea of family togetherness and healing old wounds to unify a family is probably the core idea that led me to conceive the series in the first place. At the same time, I needed those core relationships to be challenged by complicating incidents. So here we are at the finale, and we find out that Grace is pregnant. We don't know who the father is. We'll find out in season two. And, uh, and regardless of who the father is, even the prospect of the father not being Ben is something that's going to make it difficult for Ben and Grace to chew on as they go to sleep the night after the season finale, for sure, and in the weeks and months to come. Eventually, they're going to find out, and the complications will continue. It's probably going to stay pretty messy. Talk about the significance of the Zeke and Jared conversation. So Jared and Zeke are understandably diametrically opposed, right? I mean, the Jared Zeke thing is uh, impossibly complicated. We have left the audience with a shameless who shot JR-esque cliffhanger. Yes, I am being cute there because the actor who plays Jared's name is JR. That is in no way to spoil the idea that it's Jared who was shot. Maybe he was, maybe he wasn't. Maybe no one was shot. 
Maybe that was thunder. No, it wasn't. But uh, that idea of a gunshot going off at the end is both literal and metaphorical, right? From a metaphorical standpoint, it is the ultimate escalation of two guys who both believe that they will do and need to do whatever it takes to protect the most important woman in their lives. And for both of them right now, that's Michaela. And should they both survive that gunshot that we heard go off? that confrontation will continue. But whether or not they both survived, uh, there will obviously be long-lasting implications from that gunshot that we heard. Did Zeke or Jared fire the shot? Uh, No, I don't want to tell you any of that, but, you know, we'll tell you all of that really soon, so you'll have to come back. Who is the father of Grace's baby? No, I don't want to tell you who the father of Grace's baby is. The passengers were gone for 2,037 days. Any significance to that number? Yes. Is there anything else that fans may have missed in this episode? Anything that we might have missed. I don't know if I have anything to tease that uh, we might have missed in this conversation, but there's for sure, you know, significance in each and every scene. So, you know, if you're playing along at home and trying to figure out what's coming next, pay attention to all the core relationships because they're all going to continue to escalate and, uh, you know, what's messy will become messier. Hope you enjoyed the ride this season. Ready for the next chapter of Manifest? There's more mystery coming your way. Thank you for listening to this episode of Manifest, the official podcast. Subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen, and please be sure to follow Manifest on socials at NBC Manifest on all platforms.